Uh, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, we're just going to sit right down on 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and that's where we're going to stay for today. Um, there is... Uh, when we talk about the Holy Spirit's work in our individual lives, I think a lot of times uh, we think of the Holy Spirit working with us um, on such an individual level we don't think of other people. In other words, we think that when the Holy Spirit works in my life, He's doing something with me individually, and it is between Him and I, between Him and me. I think that's the correct. Okay. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through these verses and we're going to try and think about how it is that Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit works uh, in our own personal holiness. So let's look at uh, verse 1. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 to begin with. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come... Uh, with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Uh, okay. So, um, I want you to look... Well, I want, you, I want to ask you this. How do we look at wisdom today? Um, I'm trying to put this in a way that doesn't... Um, I'm just not mean to people that don't deserve it, but isn't it true that most of the wisdom that we think of today is something we saw online? <coughs> Do you understand what I mean? In my world, everyone talks about TED Talks, and have you heard this guy, and have you heard that guy, and a lot of TED Talks are really good, and there's people that know how to communicate really well, and break things down in a way you haven't thought of, and you're like, wow, that was amazing, because they're really good at that sort of thing, communicating well and stuff like that. Um, in the theological world, people are looking at YouTube and all kinds of different things to see who can really communicate in a really good way, such good, powerful wisdom. And, um, you know, people say, oh, I just love Piper, I just love Piper, I just listen to Piper all the time, and Piper is a nice man, and he's fine to listen to, but is that... How do we view wisdom? It seems like if John Piper was a really crummy communicator, but had a really good message, uh, no one would know who John Piper was. Do you understand what I mean? Um, it's the same thing when uh, young people go to, go to a university, especially Christian young people going to a secular university, and they hear someone... They finally hear a professor who knows his stuff really well, 
and he can communicate it really well so that they understand it, and they mistake that for wisdom. Because someone was able to take a complex idea and break it down for you so you understood it, you actually believe it, right? Because it was understandable. And we tend to think that this is what powerful wisdom is. Not just wisdom, but power in the wisdom. And um, probably this is, Paul's writing this after uh, his Acts 17 um, encounter with the philosophers, the Stoics and the Epicureans, who are very big on not just having something important to say, but saying it well, and getting that wisdom across with some kind of power behind it because they were able to speak well. And so Paul comes off of that, and there's a cynicism here, and I think it's, uh, it's okay <laughs> to have that uh, sometimes. Um, if you spend a little bit of time in academia, you tend to think that academia actually is a place that has some worth. You spend a lot of time in academia, and you realize it's a place that doesn't have a lot of worth at all. <laughs> but you have a lot of people that want to talk. Um, and I think Paul is starting to grasp this, uh, not in starting, but he sees it. And he's not saying anything untrue, either. He's not over-exaggerating. He's saying what is true because of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, telling him what to write. So the Holy Spirit's not lying or, or exaggerating here. And it says, When I came to you, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. And what is he talking about there? Superiority of speech or of wisdom. I thought he did come with wisdom. Isn't he talking about the Lord? What does he mean by that? Wisdom doesn't come from him. Was it? Okay. Yeah, there's, there's these two different kind of wisdoms going on here. There's a worldly wisdom that has the wow factor, right? And that wow factor is what we put, as, as worldly people, we put a lot of weight on that, right? Um, it, it reminds me of evangelicals back when... Barack Obama was running for president. Evangelicals were just enamored by uh, the speeches of Barack Obama. And I remember thinking, you know, he's, uh, he's really excited about getting more children murdered, right? Um, if you look at his policies in his first 100 days as president, uh, he changed more laws by executive order to... Uh, enhance and broaden abortion more than any other president in history. Uh, but man, was he a good speaker. Yay! <laughs> but that's where the power is, right? Right? If you know how to make your hand do this, you can be a good politician. Right? Because this is John F. Kennedy. Okay, so... Uh, so if you do these things, people find this wisdom and power very exciting because we like that. And it almost doesn't matter what the message is. And Paul is saying, I came to you without any of that. Uh, in fact, I came to you 
in weakness, fear, and trembling. So in the first few, uh, in the first few blanks there, the world has a speech and a wisdom. There is a kind of speech and wisdom that the world likes. And if we're honest, we kind of like it too. We want to put a, we want to Christianize it, but we still like that the idea of human power. Man, when he speaks, he really is just amazing. What a great speaker, and what great wisdom, which what we really mean is uh, something that I didn't understand, I now understand, which makes me feel smarter, which empowers me, which makes me adore the person that gave me power. (laughs) This is how the world thinks. So Paul was armed with... On your next few blanks, Paul was armed with fear, weakness, and trembling. Fear, weakness, and trembling. This is what Paul had to offer. So Paul, and under the work of the Holy Spirit, is admitting something about his speaking skills. He is not being modest, when in actuality he was a real MacArthur. And I'm not saying MacArthur and Piper are horrible people. I'm just saying what people admire about these men may not be the thing you should be admiring. There might be something else. Admire that they haven't had problems with um, sexual sin and they've been in the public eye for a long time. Admire that. Uh, But no, we admire things that are, um, according to Paul, unimportant. Paul's preaching demonstrated something that we don't find interesting. I want you to look what it says. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I mean, when we think about that, when we think of wisdom, we're thinking of insight that we haven't had before an insight that makes us feel smarter and makes us be able to break it down so we could tell other people how, uh, what awesome way we understand something. And he's talking about Jesus Christ and him crucified. We already know that stuff. Why is that so big of a deal? So now he's saying, not only am I not a very good speaker, and I don't have the power that people really like that they can see and hear. What I'm saying isn't this amazing thing. What I'm saying is about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's what's important. Um, I wish more seminary students would read this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christ and him crucified. But uh, what about the two natures and uh, how they interact? And what was the Lutheran view as opposed to the Calvinistic view and the extra Calvinisticum? Anyway. And I was with you in weakness, fear, and trembling, and my message and my preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. This is speaking of the Holy Spirit. So that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men. You would not be able to say, because of the work that the Holy Spirit did in me is a result of this incredible speaking ability that Paul has 
and the incredible insight that he made me feel smarter about myself. It says that your faith would rest on the wis- not on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And right there, what we're seeing is the power of God is renaming something that was already named. What is the power of God? It's the Spirit. When we see the words, the power of God, oftentimes we are talking about the Holy Spirit. So Paul's preaching demonstrated the, whole, the Spirit and the power of God. Or what we could say, the Spirit, who is the power of God. Now, I want you to see how the Spirit is being communicated here. The Spirit's work is not in demonstration of what we, in our nature, would like to see. In our nature, we want to see something. Something big. We want to hear something that really was, whoa. We want to... We want to be overwhelmed with something out here in the world. A really good speech, a really good way of saying it, a really a way that I understood it so that now I feel smarter. Something that we can see and hear. And he's saying everything you saw and heard was really unimpressive. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's saying, my incredible way I speak and the way I broke it down and the way um, I communicated was not the power. You changed and your heart was broken before the Lord as these words were spoken to you and that power of change was not how it was communicated or what you saw or heard. That was the power of the Holy Spirit. The more unimpressive I am, the more impressive it is that the Holy Spirit's work is through his word and not through this amazing way that I speak to you or this amazing thing that you think you're understanding. Does that make sense? And he, he, he goes on in, um, if you look at uh, verse 6. Um. And this, is, and this is something you've got to be clear about with Paul. Pay attention to the pronouns. Pay attention to the pronouns. It gets tricky. It gets tricky. So at the first part, he's talking about him. Now he's saying we. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are, mat- are mature. Um, let me read that again. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom of God, predestined before the ages to our glory. Let's stop right there. Uh, We speak to the mature congregations. That's what he's talking about. We speak to the mature congregations. This is the apostles are speaking to the mature congregations. Mature is the idea that these are people that the Holy Spirit have worked in, has worked in 
and they have uh, changed. They are in Christ. And who, is, who are the rulers of this age? Well, later we're going to find this is really talking about those who ended up being responsible for the crucifixion of Christ. Who were they? They were the academics. The mystery is not of the religious academics. So now he's attacking something else. Now he's attacking those who are considered the experts, who know, uh, who know the original languages, who have done the work, who have become the scholars in their field. And he's saying those people are not the ones who the mystery has been given to. This wisdom is mysterious. That's what he's saying. Remember, because he reveals what the wisdom is. It's Christ and him crucified. And this is understood through the power of the Holy Spirit, even to the Gentiles. And this is a big revelation. But this wisdom is mysterious. And what makes it mysterious, do you think? Because you're saved, you don't understand it. Yeah, why, why do we understand it? But someone who isn't saved doesn't understand it. And that's an answer, right? But it's still mysterious, because how is it that the Holy Spirit is working inside those who are in Christ, in covenant union with Christ, and what does that look like? I mean, how does that work? Is there a whispering? Is there some activity uh, that is happening? I mean, what is all that about? (laughs) When the Holy Spirit reveals something, as you are reading Scripture, what is that? Yes. Can I interject with a little example of this? Yeah. So when I was in, this is one of those experiences that I probably can't trade properly with words, but hopefully you'll get it. When I was in college, um, probably I think it was a sophomore junior, just you know, in the midst of all of heavy <coughs> academics and you know, taking philosophy classes and religion classes and history classes. You know, just learning all this stuff from these secular professors, and I knew so much because you know I was 22 and I knew everything, <laughs> and I was you know just soaking up all this worldly wisdom constantly. And my grandmother died, and um, <clears throat> I'm not crying at the stuff about my throat. Sorry. She um she was a very simple woman. I don't even think she had more than a sixth grade education. To my knowledge, she read the Bible and that was about it. She didn't know anything about Bach or Mozart or how to mix a martini. I mean, the woman, she just was very, very, very simple in, in worldly terms. She was not very smart. In fact, she was, she, she just had a lot of really dumb ideas. Just, I mean, like, just really, but, but she loved the Lord. And when she died, all of a sudden it hit me that she was standing at that moment in the presence of God. I had never wanted to emulate her at all because of her, her, her ignorance. And, and yet all of a sudden I realized that she at that moment had everything I ever wanted. And so just this, this contrast between the wisdom that I was soaking up and the wisdom that she always had, but it was such a – it was not a wisdom that I kind of despised her for it almost because she was just so lowly in terms of academic prowess. And just – I mean it was extremely humbling to me, and I had to do a lot of repenting at that moment. 
but just that juxtaposition between this worldly wisdom that I was so proud of that I was accumulating, and yet it was, it was filthy rags compared to that simple wisdom that she had. Yeah. Sorry, I was just thinking about that. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and it's mysterious because how is it that we are able to grasp that um, through the work of the Holy Spirit? We say the work, and, we're, and it's a good placeholder, right? The work of the Holy Spirit in us. And we put that placeholder there even though we're not sure what exactly that looks like. It's mysterious. And that's... Um, <laughs> And I, I still am amazed at things like that, you know, when you've gotten into the depths of academia and you're looking at these big ideas, these big views, and you come across someone who hasn't done all that, and they say something about scripture you never thought of before, and you think, wow, how come I never saw that? They see that. That's the Holy Spirit's work. It's a mysterious work. And you realize... Uh, being smart, uh, what does it mean? Uh, the world wants you to believe it has something to do with retaining a bunch of information and assimilating it in some way and then impressing people with it, and that's what makes you smart. And as the Holy Spirit works, you realize that is a sham. Um, and so we see this mysterious wisdom. And so it's talked about as we get in verse 9 uh, and this is this is a, a quote from the Old Testament I think in Isaiah. Uh, let me start in, uh, in verse 8. Oh I didn't even yeah. uh, the, wis, uh, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which, I, which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things... Even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, uh, no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. And so this, we see this revealed of how this is happening. This mysterious wisdom is happening by the power of God, which is the Holy Spirit, right? And how does the Holy Spirit do this? Uh, if you look at your next blank there, God reveals himself through the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit reveals the mind of God not by magic, not by some kind of, um, well, just he already knows. But there is a personal activity going on here. The Spirit reveals the mind of God in a personal way. He does, he shows this, he makes this uh, comparison. Um, when you are, uh, 
with your uh, wife or husband, or you, you younger people, you're with your parents, and they say, hey, what's, uh, what's on your mind? Looks like something's bothering you, right? And uh, at that point, something is bothering you, right? And you are searching all through your mind and thinking about that thing that's bothering you. And your husband, wife, parent does not know what it is, and you have to reveal it to them. And you know better than anybody what's bothering you because you are deep within the thoughts of what's bothering you. Does that make sense? (laughs) Now, is it a different person than yourself that's searching your mind? No, it's you, right? So when it says the Spirit is searching the mind of God, right, doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not God. He's searching the mind of who he is, God. Remember in our Trinity section, well, maybe we don't want to go into all that, but here's my point. Um, He doesn't just say it. He says he searches the mind and then reveals. This is a personal way of acting towards you. Um, He compares it to the way we search our mind and then reveal to someone we love what's going on. And the more we search our mind, the more we try to communicate what it is that's on our mind. And this is a personal way that, that the Holy Spirit does with us. And I want you to notice... That as he is talking, he is saying in verse 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of, um, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us, which things we also speak. We speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the spirit. Is he talking, who's the we now? We speak. Okay. Well, this is Paul, and he is saying a we. And he's talking about speaking. Who's the speakers and who's the listeners, typically, uh, when Paul is talking about the we speaking, and then there's a group of people listening? Who are the listeners? Christians, congregation. He's talking about the preachers. The we is the apostles and those helping through preaching. Those helping through preaching. So what is being said here? Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of who is from God. Remember, this goes back to his original argument. The preacher is preaching to the congregation, and according to Paul, his preaching is not great. As far as the world demands, a really cool guy to get up there and say things uh, Keller-esque, and they just grab it right after they see three men dancing around on stage. They're ready to listen. And uh, that's what they want, right? But instead, they got a guy who uh, gets up there trembling. 
It doesn't persuade very well according to the persuasion techniques that Aristotle told us to use. Instead, he's just preaching Christ's death and resurrection. Not very interesting. But that's the power of God, who is the Holy Spirit. (coughs) Here he says, so I'm not preaching to the congregation through the spirit of the world, but through the spirit who is from God, that we may know the things freely given to us by God. So, what is one of the main ways that the Holy Spirit does his work in your personal holiness? According to what we just said. Preaching of the word. Preaching of the word. It is, yes, when you get alone with the Bible and you're reading, the Holy Spirit works. But what's the thrust of all this? The thrust is that part of the main part of how the Holy Spirit's going to work in your heart individually is through the preaching of the word through your preacher. The Holy Spirit's work happens through your preacher. Whether it is up to the par of your favorite YouTube guy or it is up to the par of what you personally have learned in speech class, whatever it is, what Paul is saying, I am the worst preacher. If you want to compare me with someone, you're going to find that I am weak and trembling. People probably have to strain to listen because I mumble, because I'm a little afraid up there, and I am saying things that are not that interesting And this is how the Holy Spirit is working in the congregation. So your blank there is the Holy Spirit's work is not merely individual. Instead, his work is also through the preacher who reveals God to the people. The preacher is doing the work of revealing Uh, The knowledge of God to the people that God has revealed freely and given to us freely by God. So that's humbling, isn't it? What else does it say? 1 Corinthians 2 as we go into 14 through 16. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Spiritually appraised. Uh, Another word for that would be um, like examined, spiritually um, analyzed. So what does that mean? The Spirit's revelation to us is absurd to the unbeliever. It's absurd. Uh, Let me check. A B S U R D. And I am. The great thing about that is that I have a red squiggly line, I know. Right click. 
And that's how I spell. <laughs> we live in a time where spelling is not important, people. Because otherwise we wouldn't have Microsoft Word. Any English teachers in here? Okay, good. I feel the same way about MLA formatting, by the way. Easybib.com. So. Okay. Um, so why, uh, why is it absurd? And I want us to be honest. What's absurd about this whole Christianity thing? It doesn't make sense to them. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't it? What sounds absurd? Somebody died, took our sins out of them, and rose again. Yeah. And saves us. I mean, when you understand, um, without the power of the Holy Spirit, you're talking about covenantal categories. You're talking about the fact that because the first man was under covenant with God, and he broke covenant, we broke covenant with him. And we are fully responsible for that sin that happened before our existence. And people are going to say, that's crazy. Why would you believe that? That's nuts. Why do you think something exists called sin? I mean, the fact that we even think that something, that you can do something that offends God. I mean, our culture says sin happens when you offend the person who is yelling the loudest. So nowadays, it's LGBTQ, it is uh, uh, politics, <laughs> um, it's all that stuff. They're speaking the loudest, so you can't offend them. Um, so whatever society says is at the highest rank, then you don't offend them. And we're saying, don't offend God, and it's okay if people don't like what you're saying over here. Well, that's, that's insane. We can't see God. We can see these people that are offended, but we can't see God. And then you can see how the whole thing seems crazy. And when you look closely, what you find is if you're a human being, you want to think uh, everything's going to be crazy, right? You take God out of the picture and you have to believe that it matters that you're on the earth even though you know for a fact it doesn't matter that you're on the earth, right? I mean, if you're really going to go full sail into evolution, you have to believe your existence is by chance and it will disappear. We are way too close to a star. Stars die. Uh, we're done. And who cares if it takes millions or billions of years? It doesn't matter. It's done. So who cares? I mean, it's, it's, you have to pretend that you matter on this earth and you know for a fact that you don't. That's insane. So God doesn't even allow the unsaved to have a reasonable existence, right? And so when the Holy Spirit works, it is a mysterious wisdom. Because, listen to me, it's a foreign wisdom. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
At no time do you get to say, that's mine. At no time do you get to say, I was smart enough to choose God. I found some wisdom and realized my sin, repented and said, okay, God, now you can come in. You're welcome. I'm pretty smart for that. You understand what I'm saying? At no time is it yours. So you live with a foreign wisdom inside you. And this foreign wisdom is from one that loves you and has made his home in you. And so what we find is that part of what makes it absurd is they want something outside in the world to confirm that this wisdom is in you. Do you understand what I'm saying? The thing inside us that still holds on to the world's wisdom says, I need something out here to tell me something in here is happening. And every time scripture speaks, it speaks of very mundane things. Um, how can you tell that the Holy Spirit's wisdom is in a husband? Um, he has really strong communication with his wife. Uh, he leads his home. He's in charge of uh, the discipline in the home. <coughs> He's not terrified of his wife. He does things for her because he loves her, not because he's afraid she's going to get mad. <coughs> That's how you know. That's not very interesting. How do you know a wife has the Holy Spirit's wisdom inside her uh, at a really difficult time when he has failed again? She has the strength to continue to submit to someone who really might be a bumbling idiot. Not very interesting, but man, the power of the Holy Spirit that's there. What's the Holy Spirit, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit look like? You're sitting there and you're listening to a message and you are restless and you find yourself <coughs> criticizing the way it's being communicated and, uh, well, maybe, you know, he's just not very sensitive or he needs to uh, do this or this is what he, you know, he really ought to, he really ought to. And then all of a sudden he says something that you know you're guilty of. And it tears at your heart and you can't get it out of your mind. And it bothers you and it bothers you. And finally, later on that night, you get on your knees before the Lord. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not these big things that we want to see. It's not this big event and this big uh, show to everybody. It's those things that take real power. Change in your heart. And it's mundane. And it's not very interesting to the rest of the world. But it's an incredible change in your life. What we find is nothing confirms the power of God. The power of God confirms everything else. We don't need a big show on the outside to confirm that the power of God is there. What we need is the power of God to confirm everything else in our lives. How do I know the Bible is true? The power of God confirms it. The Holy Spirit's work in you confirms it. 
through the Spirit's wisdom to us individually and to us through our pastor, we have the mind of Christ. At the end of that, um, that fa- the famous words at the end, for who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ, and you have the mind of Christ. Through these two things that you cannot separate. The individual work of the Spirit in you and the work of your pastor's messages and work in your life. You need both because this is how Scripture says the Holy Spirit's going to work in your life. You don't get to isolate yourself and this is you and the Holy Spirit because Scripture has told you. It's you and the Holy Spirit and your pastor working in your life, and the Holy Spirit works that way as well. That's how we have the mind of Christ. All right. Um, Let's have a word of prayer, and please come see me as questions pop into your head. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, are grateful to you for your graciousness to us, that you have given us your power through the Holy Spirit's work in our heart. We pray, Lord, for that power today as we come before you uh, knowing of sin in our hearts, knowing of attitudes and things that we need to work on as we enter into the sanctuary and we hear your word spoken that our hearts might be broken before you, that the Holy Spirit's work might be Uh, powerful in our hearts that we might repent and change our hearts towards you. Lord, we ask these things in your Son's name.